Hey, this is PJ Souls, and you are totally listening to Nightmare Junkhead. Woo! Keep listening. In and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that appreciates the lost art of one-handed typing. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're raking up some shag carpet and blasting some blue oyster cult as we delve into the mouth of March Madness and travel back 40 years to talk the horror classics from our 1978 bracket. But before we get into that, let me remind you we're part of the phenomenally frightening Phantom Podcast Network. Phantom. You can find all of our past episodes along with a host of other horrific horror podcasts at downrightcreepy.com. Or if you're like me and you like to listen to us on the go, simply search for Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes or SoundCloud app. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your disco hole. And we are officially, uh-huh. as of now, into the mouth of March Madness. Yeah, it begins. There is no turning back. Right. And that is actually <laughs> why you're listening to this episode. We're releasing it on a Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be coming out on March 5th. And the entirety of the month of March, you're getting two episodes a week. Yep. Which is a little out of it's out of control. It's crazy, but that's the madness that is March. It's it's, it's March. It's Hobbs End. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Every time you pass that bicycle guy. Uh, but make sure you guys are going and continuing to submit your uh, completed brackets. Mm-hmm. You can find them over on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. Sh- show your work. Yep. You know who actually wins your Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament. Now, before we get funky in with our films in the uh, 1978. We'd like to get scientific mm-hmm. without really getting scientific. We like to. We're, we're also nerds and nostalgia, yes. but we're not like. <laughs> so, yeah. so, as we pit these films against each other, we wanted to make sure we're showing our work. And in the first round of Into the Mouth of March Madness, we have two elements of criteria mm-hmm. that we pit each film against each other. And the first one is obviously which of the films is closer to your heart? Closer to the heart! There's probably a horrible drinking game that can be made. But every time we say cluster or phantom or anything. <laughs> I dare you to do that to get truly mad. Yeah. But no, we definitely ask which one of the films are closer to our heart, which one of us gives us the better nostalgic feels. Mm-hmm. And then the other the criteria we look at is we go, rather than the heart, we go with the head. Yeah. We'd like to be a little bit more logical. And all the films are paired up with particular bracket topics. Mm-hmm. So we decide which of those fits the bracket topic better. Yeah. And then based on that the movie then moves forward into the next round in this case would be the round of the scream 16 mm-hmm. and so that's how we do it that again showing our work making mm-hmm. sure we're trying to be as objective as possible when need be right um and obviously if you listen to our selection episode so many good films in Oof, 78 had to fall so a lot of, by the leeway but the ones we're going to be focusing on we've got eight films from 1978 if you go to your bracket we're literally just going to go you know top to bottom mm-hmm. here and so we're going to start with the first topic bracket is what we call poster porn. Mm-hmm. And it's not as dirty as it sounds, or as it should be, per <laughs> it's se. It's poster porn, not porn posters. Indeed, yes. So. <laughs> you won't be put on a special list by going into this one. Uh, but obviously, you know, when you listen to a lot of the episodes we talk about, we're always drawn in by cover art. Mm-hmm. But then also, we're equally entranced by the posters. Yep. 
as nine times out of ten, it's an art gallery. You're looking at art gallery, and nine times out of like you said, nine times out of ten, you you the poster has to sell the movie before you rented it. Mm-hmm. So, and we've got two one wonderful examples here. But let's face it, in 1978, when we were putting this bracket together, there was a film. That we realized <laughs> has to go on there. I mean, let's face it. Also, it's a film that for most people, they're going to say it's one of their all time favorites. Mm-hmm. It's the movie that got him into horror. And then we had to pair it with another film, which just happened to be Halloween. <laughs> no, we are, of course, our first two films that we're looking at here is uh, Halloween and I Spit you on Your Grave. Bait and switch. For... I'm well, getting ready to go Halloween. And like, how, else, nope. how else do you approach this matchup? Because right. let's face it, this is one of the all time great films. Yeah. A undisputed classic going up against a film that, oh my goodness. It's a classic in its own way. And you almost will have to like redefine what you mean by classic. Right. So looking at both films from 1978, we have obviously the one and only JC, John mm-hmm. Carpenter, who is all over this particular podcast. You from, guys like scary movies. From the beginning. <laughs> and when you, know, when, when you look at Halloween, there's nothing that we can say. That hasn't already been said tons, tons of times. And I, I, I encourage you guys to go back, check out our Halloween franchise retrospective yeah. that we did with Justin Beam. It's exhaustive, but it's, it's informative, it's insightful, it's funny. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So rather than going on about Halloween, but I will just say this. The wonderful thing this first time around with Halloween, of all the great things, is it does introduce us to one of my favorite combinations, but CNC Movie Factory, <laughs> Carpenter and Cundy. Everybody dance now. <laughs> because those two guys getting together, it's really, what to me, what sells the movie of Halloween. It's one of the reasons why I love it so friggin' yeah. much. But at the same time... We've talked so much about Halloween. We've never really talked about... I spit on your grave. And there's a reason for that. But what is what is your background with that particular film? Because for me, it was always a dare film. Yeah, I it was I was late to the game coming into I spit on your grave. I mean, I always remember sawing, seeing it at the video store because we're going to talk about poster porn, but that's a poster porn right there. And that movie was like almost like daring you to see it. Like, this is some heinous shit you're going to see. And then finally, when I saw it, I was like, this is some heinous shit that I'm seeing. It's one of those films that had a reputation. Mm-hmm. I didn't need to. See, I didn't see the film, but I knew of it. Yeah, I knew of the content of it. I knew how shocking it was. And well, what, and even the ter- even the name, I spit on your grave. It's like it's not going to be a fucking Disney family friendly movie. <laughs> I spit in your grave, starring Don Knotts. You know, it's like... <laughs> it's a reinterpretation of the Ghost and Mr. Chicken, I believe. <laughs> no, it's a film that brings a reputation, and it's one of those films. The genre. It's itself the rape revenge genre it's mm-hmm. i mean it's a problematic genre in and of itself yeah um there are some interesting examples out there um abel ferrer's miss 45 obviously one of those that's uh, dares abel you know, ferrer <laughs> go, if you're a patreon of movie crypt go check out uh, joe lynch and felissa rose going full on abel uh, ferrer it's a good time <laughs> but it's it's just so it's not one of those films that you just throw on at right. the drop of a hat with halloween obviously it's a film that's Best appreciated and celebrated in the month of October. But, I mean, if you watch in the middle of December, you're still going to get creeped out. I mean, you're still going to get creeped out by I Spit on Your Grave, but probably in a different kind of way. But I can throw Halloween on at any time. Yeah, and enjoy it. With I Spit on Your Grave. You got to be in a mood, man. I almost have to prepare. I had to prepare myself to rewatch it for this for this podcast. <laughs> I mean, it was almost like a, tr- a prep preparation training because it is a challenging film. Because mm-hmm, it's... it's it- the subject matter alone is vile, and when we talk, when we've seen some vile things before, but something about it done in the '70s where it was so so 
gritty and, and real. raw and dirty and real, yeah. That was the best, not the best thing, but those 70s films, that kind of just gritty, grimy aesthetic. Yeah. You never knew. You felt like you were watching something. Snuff. That was, you're watching like you're like you shouldn't be watching this like any I mean, Nicholas Cage is gonna come and yell and like put that away don't watch that you know think about last year's uh, Eaten Alive yeah oof 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 that movie still stuck with me to this day I mean that was a that was a crazy one but it but that's still as some even as horrible as that one is you can still have some fun with it right you can't it's so have, mad capery but there's it's so there's no fun to be had with this it's like, put on your grave no it's 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 real and, and not to be said that there should be fun to be had because it's not a film set out to have fun with right you know it was originally titled day of the woman which i always thought was a very not necessarily it was more of an empowering thing but when mm-hmm. you look at the just the 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 journey of a Camille Keaton's character. Yeah. I mean, it is just rough. And like I said, we were talking off mic, but you know, it's it's rough enough to have one rape scene in a film. But when you have multiple multiple rape scenes, yeah. And they just get more worse and worse and worse as the movie goes on. And obviously, you know, they're there for you to then sympathize and empathize with the character. And then once, you know, obviously she goes on her roaring rampage of revenge, mm-hmm. the comeuppance is supposed to be sweet, which it still is technically from a horror film right. perspective. But even then, the kills themselves. It's still gritty and grimy and like, oof. <laughs> There's the, the infamous bathtub scene that is, it's, again, definitely deserves the reputation yeah. for being something that's hard to watch. Uh, but we were even talking about when you have these really crazy, gnarly images and you then contrast it with just the most off-settling like, soundtrack. happiness. It's like, it's so weird, because like there's this horrible rape going on. Meanwhile, AM Gold is playing in the background. It's like, like terrible shit, like, you talk, I'm gonna kill you and your family. We made love in my Chevy van, and that's all right with me. It's like, what the fuck? It is the, it's the killer contrast. It's the same thing in like um, Last House on the Left. You just get a very, just kind of calm, soothing theme. Um, Cannibal Holocaust, mm-hmm. the same thing. Ooh. Do-do-do. Meanwhile, Built people on. are getting eaten and fucking just ripped, flesh ripped apart. Da, da, da. Hey, slow down, you move too fast. Right. You gotta make the torture last. <laughs> <You know? laughs> We're sitting down and bleeding heavy, eating groovy. It's a bizarre thing, but you obviously <laughs> you, lo- you look at the late seventies, and they're definitely a reaction to what was going on with Vietnam. Yeah, you mentioned before, it's almost a, a you, cautionary tale. You can't trust hippies anymore. You can't trust hippies especially when they look like werebears the hippies and the hobos right Right, hippies and hobos you got the the rapist the one in one in is a suit one's a a woman like let's do this and the other one looks like papa juno from fucking uh hills have eyes you can't trust any hippie nowadays so so you you've, you've definitely got a shift in culture in the united states and then when you look at the two films both of them they're just so totally different Mm -hmm. but also work wonders as horror films yeah both are very cathartic, but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I want to just get Camille Keaton's performance and I spit on your grave. A lot of people say, I think brave is definitely a, a word that Absolutely. is warranted. Yeah. But to put yourself through that for art, and they even mentioned that I think there were a few people that walked off the set on like the filming of the second rape scene because it's so intense. And for mm-hmm. someone to go through that as an actor, that's that's got to wear on the psyche. Exactly. So just the fact eat your that your soul away, even especially if you, you don't get it right on the first take. Oh God, that's, you know, it's like imagine Kubrick doing this. Film. Oh my gosh, that would be beyond the pale. This movie is over, and yeah. then just like. <laughs>
both of the films are pretty good representation representations of what 1978 had to offer mm-hmm. regarding the slasher motif. Yeah, with obviously kind of in, it's in the infancy. It, it, they're both pseudo trashy, but one's classy trashy. Halloween, I think, is a little bit more classy trashy than Halloween is definitely what you would refer to as a film. Yeah. And you think about what John Car- John Carpenter did in this film, and it gave us so many things. Mm-hmm. It gave us Jamie Lee Curtis, yes, PJ Souls, uh huh. It gave us Dean Cundey, yes, and it which... gave us the iconic music. It gave us an iconic monster and a villain, and Michael Myers, oh, the, sh- the shape. It gave us Loomis. You know, I mean, it's Deborah yeah. gave us Deborah Hill. Yes. Well, there's so many things that this film launched. So when we're putting them together, and again, we're going to go ahead. Do you want to have any other ad, anything to add regarding I Spit on Your Grave and Halloween? It's a, it warrants being classic. I mean, there's a reason we're talking about yes, it. Yes, there's a reason why we're talking about it. And it seems like, yeah, we're like, especially me, I'm shitting on I Spit on Your Grave. It's, it's, I am because it's in context against Halloween. If it stood on its own, and I would like, it's a good movie, it's still hard to watch. But it's still important to like to the genre itself. to the genre itself and so. what it contributed to. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we're going to look at here when we show our work is of the two films, which one is closer to your heart? Which one gives you all the nostalgic feels? And I'll go ahead and start this one here yeah. because I've mentioned it before. If someone asks me what is my favorite horror film, without doubt, I can always just answer Halloween. Mm-hmm. It works on so many different levels. But for me, when it comes to hitting me close to the heart, the Getty Lee style, the nostalgia. I distinctly remember the first time I was exposed to Halloween the film. And it was because my folks and my aunt and uncle were at the, my aunt's house and they were watching it. And I was basically going around the house just exploring. But every now and again, I would peek in the room to see what they were watching. Yes, I was giving myself a little, little shape treatment there. But then I distinctly remember the thing that really kind of just drew me in, sucked me in, and I've been a fan ever since was the scene where... Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode, she falls down the stairs. Uh-huh. You get that, and then you get that just iconic shape shot of the shape, and then that dun, 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 uh huh. Oh, and I just sat there transfixed, and I was so scared, but I couldn't look away. And that stuff still haunts me to this day. So, it of course that's going to get me to the heart. So my vote on what was close to my heart is Halloween. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> There's no contest when it's closer to the heart. Somebody says, "Hey, you want to see Halloween, or do you want to see?" Uh, I, I spit, spit on, on your grave. grave. Like, well, I saw Halloween yesterday, but I'll watch it again. <laughs> you know, and it's it's you can't. There's no for me. There's no contest with heart. It's Halloween all the way. And honestly, and you know, hopefully, you, it's not overwhelming you. But I am putting a little JC on in the background for a little music because let's face it, John Carpenter and Halloween, their their DNA is all over the tournament this year, regardless of what decade. Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna have that in the background trolling us along. So okay, two votes for Halloween on closer mm-hmm. to the heart now. The bracket topic of poster porn. Both of these have some wonderfully iconic posters. For me, when I was, again, looking back on the VHS, uh, the video days, the cover art for I Spit on Your Grave was notorious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You had a scantily clad woman. A a dirty, scantily clad woman. Had gone through some shit. Yeah. You didn't know what quad it was, but you know it was not pleasant. Just holes in the panties and ass. Very gratuitous, and then yeah. holding on the big old shard, the uh-huh. knife. Uh-huh. Something was going down. It's one of those something things, heinous was going down, and it was one of those that tempted you. It dared you. Yeah. Do you do you dare rent this film? Do you dare go beyond NC seventeen on the bottom and shit? All and the o- warnings, o- <laughs> adults only. Yeah. This is one of those films you'd find behind the beaded curtain back mm-hmm. in the day. But then also with Halloween, it's simplistic. 
Mm-hmm. But much like with a lot of John Carpenter stuff, that's the genius. That's all you need. Just a knife and a Halloween, half a pumpkin. Half a pumpkin. And now, what in my now my vote here is gonna go to Halloween. Uh-huh. And the reason being is back if you go back to one of our Days of the Dead episodes. See, okay. Get out of my head. <laughs> no, that's okay, because we had a chance to talk with Gary Pullen, who was actually going to be part of the Into the Mouth of March Madness. Check out the Round of the Scream 16 in 1988 with the From My Parents Basement podcast. But we had him on, and he was showing us the, some of the complexities of the Halloween poster, because if I remember right, you had... I had a, I had a Halloween poster and that you had, I, did, you had PJ, PJ and uh, Tony Moran sign. And he showed us, and this is something you'll you will never not see once exactly. you see it. But I have to assume this is the reason you're get it's getting the vote as well. Mm-hmm. We'll just throw it out there. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the insight he showed us? Yes. Okay. So if you look at the hand that's grasping the knife, the fists makes a screaming face, like the face looks like it's being suffocated you in a way. You can distinctly see the eyes, the, the ma- nose, the, the mouth, mouth, the whole thing. And if if without that, I would say that. I spit on the your grave would have got the cover poster because Absolutely. it's Scream seventies, it's super iconic, and you know ill shit's gonna happen. However, the fact of the matter is that thirty years later we're finding something new about the Halloween poster mm-hmm. that by far wins the category for me. I cannot disagree with that. It's one of those it's almost like uh, those little hidden pictures in Right. The, it's, it's a scale post. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one of those if you don't even if you're not looking at it, you'll you'll miss it. It doesn't take anything away from the poster. But, but when it you add something when you actually look at the poster. So, so. for a pure poster porn, I've got to go with Halloween. Yeah. So thank you, Gary, on mm-hmm. that assist there. So Cause really if it wasn't for that, I would have gone, I, I would have gone I spit on your grave. That is an iconic cover an iconic poster that shows you the uh, the effect of an artist on a film yeah is something as simple as a cover or a poster can just enhance it and make it more reputable and give it more legs because mm-hmm. again we're still talking about it 40 years later so our first enter uh per first one into the round of the scream 16 by a vote of four to zero halloween mm-hmm. moving on which i i i, I kind of assumed it was gonna go that would have been there the, Ultimate, ultimate upset right? it would have been it would totally would have been Honestly, like it would have been evil dead from last year oh that was huge that yeah was huge. it would have been evil dead 2 going like in the first round it was like holy shit i'll be honest if halloween is bested by anything i will consider it an upset because yeah. it's one of those oh, that's, yeah it's it's in my dna but speaking of what's in your dna regardless of what you see on movies and how you react to real life let's go down to our next bracket here which is why genius doesn't swim <laughs> yeah and what I truly love of 1978 <laughs> is it gave us two just phenomenally great films. Ocean-dwelling monster movies. Wonderful representations here. We mm-hmm. have a sequel, mm-hmm. which we actually have several sequels. We got a lot of sequels In the brackets up. of 78, yeah. which is incredible. And then also another original. We're going, we've got Jaws 2 mm-hmm. going against Piranha. Where do we start with on that one? Let's Gina? do Jaws 2. Okay. Jaws 2. Now, I will say this. There's been kind of a, an interesting little phenomenon going on, on the internet regarding Jaws 2 on how to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because let's face it, Jaws 2, when you were a sequel to one of the all-time greats. Right. Because no one's going to disagree that Jaws is not one of the all-time great horror films. You got the deck stacked against you pretty high. But what Jaws 2 does, I think that's very interesting, is it takes everything that works with the original mm-hmm. and just adds a little bit more to it. Like a good sequel should. And what the interesting thing is, if you watch Jaws 2, if you look at all the tropes, how it's approached, the structure and everything that works with it, it works as a wonderful slasher film. 
where the shark is the shape. Yeah, he's just hiding. He, it, what you think about, the film opens up with a point of view shot with the shark. And he goes in and he kills someone immediately. Mm-hmm. Think about any of your good slasher films. You have the killer coming right to town. Right thing. Just, you just immediately makes the their presence mm-hmm. known. The other thing then that comes down with Jaws 2 and the, the kills are crueler. Yeah. If you think about there's... There's a lot of kids getting eaten in this movie. And oh. There's the one where it shows the kid gets eaten and then he is dragged and then slammed into the boat. Yeah. Bunk. It's like it's like insult to injury where you're like, damn, Jaws. That's I know, right? And I like the jaw that this Jaws is distinct has a distinguishing scar. It, yes. Yeah. You now have it's like the burn of Freddy Krueger, uh-huh. the distinct mark of uh, of a uh, of a leather face. He's got his mask. He's got his iconic mask. He's targeting teens now as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sexy teens on the beach. <laughs> and I've heard the biggest complaint with a lot of people is like, I wanted the teens to die. So I'm like, oh my god, it is a modern slasher. And then the 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 cherry on top of everything is Brody becomes the Loomis. Mm-hmm. And he's going ape shit. Like, there's I, sharks in the... <laughs> I, I slammed him six times. Yeah, I slammed him six times. <laughs> I chummed him six times. <laughs> and if you watch it through that view, that those lens, it actually kind of enhances what it does. I will give you that 100%. When I first saw this movie way back in the day, maybe about 15, 20 years ago, I was like, mm, it's all right. You know, it's not as good as the first one. Mm-hmm. But watching it as a slasher movie, I appreciated it a lot more. And I, something that was missing in the first one to me that was apparent in the second one was mass carnage. And when Jaws, that last 20 minutes, when he goes on full-on feeding frenzy mode and just decimates the the camp, the teen, the teen little thing, he it eats was a glorious. Heli- he eats a it's helicopter. A helicopter. He eats a goddamn helicopter out of the sky, just like it's just like oh, and then just brings it down. If it wasn't for Jaws two, we wouldn't have any Sharknados. We wouldn't have anything. This movie made it significantly better. That being said. Well, we'll talk about it when we go against nope, the Nope, it works. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It's not perfect by any means, but it's still a fun entry. And then we're pairing it against... An, uh, we have a, we have a, we had a, a master move on just previously. We have another master here with Joe Dante mm-hmm. and Piranha. This movie was fun. You cannot... With one hallmark of a Joe Dante movie, it's always going to be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be cartoonish. You're going to have... Dick Miller. Yeah, always going to... <laughs> now, dare I say... The Futterman curse, dude. <laughs> the poor Futterman curse. The Futterman just that curse. follows him throughout any... And basically, let's face it, you know, it all comes down to the one and only Roger Corman. Right. Ultimately, as much of a Dante film this is, it's definitely <laughs> this a This is a Corman film. movie. This is... This screams Corman. Like, there's not enough boobs yet. Let's show some boobs. Okay, Corman, you're the boss. Ta-da! All right, back to the carnage. It's... <laughs> It's so ridiculous. This movie is asinine and ridiculous. Let's go into a secret government pool, take a swim, unleash unleash these things. Kevin McCarthy out of nowhere going insane. Um, Adds a little genre credibility. Right? I I was just waiting for, like, Dick Miller and, like, uh, Paul Blano and, like, Mary Wurnoff to come out and, like, let's go swimming. I don't know, Mary. Those piranhas look ethnic, you know? (laughs) <laughs> a little Paul Ball, Paul, Paul Bartel and yeah. Mary Warnoff just always adds just that little extra umph you need to any movie. <laughs> no, I agree. This is the difference between Piranha and Jaws 2 is Piranha is so much more fun. Yeah. It doesn't take itself seriously. Mm-hmm. It knows what it is. It's and it, violent and it's gory. And when I talked about Kid Massacre, Woo! 
Wow, to eat a whole fucking camp. <laughs> the individual piranhas, I think, ultimately are a little bit scarier than Jaws as a whole. Because mm -hmm. you can kill Jaws with one thing. If you kill a couple of piranhas, there's still hundreds more right after your ass. <laughs> They're going to be chomping at you one way or the other. And what I also love, the fact that um, the band Exodus, who if you, you need to go back and check out our... Uh, little uh, big four of thrash and, mm -hmm. and horror is there's a the, great thrash the education of genius of McGee. genius mcgee <laughs> <laughs> well there's a great band this thrash band called exodus and they're well represented into the mouth of march madness this year uh in 1978 they did a film called piranha which is one of my all-time favorites and then um in uh, 1988 their sticker appears on stooge's car in the movie night of the demons oh perfect so it's i love that exodus is well represented here but piranha itself is definitely a very mistrusting film about the government mm -hmm. but both of them technically you can see as slasher films though absolutely and the piranhas are fun. coming jaws is coming slowly targeting the teens mm -hmm. it, it's an interesting pairing because you mentioned that halloween kind of kick-started the slasher movement even though technically Black Christmas really predates right. it. But then you've got films in that same year that are kind of already establishing. Taking the tropes, yeah. And then just putting it through a different filter. Mm -hmm. In which case, it's a, it's a, what, the kind of filter you need for a good, you know, water system, what have exactly. you, know. <laughs> a good water purification filter. So let's go ahead and let's show our, well, I guess final thoughts on either Piranha or Jaws 2. Um, uh, seriously, this secret slasher viewing enhances the movie significantly better and i've read it on the internet i've heard it on other podcasts this is an original idea it's been out there but when you again when you view it through that lens yeah it does enhance it, it does enhance it so and, but then you, dante's dante yeah again the Those startings of a master right. uh so genius which of these two films jaws 2 or piranha are closer to your heart i saw jaws 2 first but i enjoyed my viewing of piranha more so when I first saw it, I was like, this is fun. This is great. Piranha, you could see on um, like regular TV, Channel 62, back in the day, edited, but still it'd be fun. It still worked. Jaws 2, edited bef even before. It's still a little like slower, a little boring, I should say. Now, and it's not, it's not no, a boring it's movie, but edited with commercials, it really fucks up the pacing a lot. It's, Piranha is lean and mean. Yeah. And so I... Even though I saw Jaws 2 first, I have a better memory of Piranha. So Piranha gets the vote for me. Totally makes sense. Now, mine, I've got to go with Jaws 2 on this one. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is the first, I distinctly remember the first time seeing Jaws 2, there's a scene where they're opening up, they're doing a little ribbon cutting ceremony, yeah. and it's in a pool. Yeah. And even at that young age, I was, I was like, oh my God, there's one's going to fall in the pool. And Jaws is going to get him because it doesn't matter what kind of body of water it was. No, Jaws is coming out of there. It could be a toilet and Jaws is coming out. And I, that stuck in my head so much that even when I'm rewatching it again, I immediately went back to that little like five-year-old perspective going, oh, they better not fall in the water, the pool there, because Jaws might get him. It stuck with me. And for that, that's always just something that's going to be there. So for me, it's closer to the heart. Jaws yeah. 2 on that one. Now, <laughs> the bracket topic in and of itself, if you guys listen to the podcast, you know genius. Fuck water. Fuck water, fuck lakes, lives fuck camping, his life fuck sewers. Via how to survive a horror film. Mm -hmm. Do you walk over grates? Absolutely not, because chuds 
or clowns or tentacle monsters will get me. But mostly chuds. Do you go camping? Hell no. Fuck camping. There's there's killers in the forest. Animals go amuck. Um, aliens can get you. There's all kinds of shit. Plus, you're like camping. You're out in the wilderness all alone with a fucking tent. No, no, no. Fuck all that. Noise. And do you go in the water? Hell no. I don't go in the water. One, I don't swim. Two, critters will get me. Jawses, piranhas, all sorts of shit are gonna go. So fuck that. The bracket topic is why genius doesn't swim. So of Piranha and Jaws 2, mm-hmm. which one of these films would ultimately make you not want to swim? So do you want to start on this one? Or do yeah, you want me to? I'll go okay. ahead and start. I'll go ahead and start. I've been in the ocean. I have, um, I've gone up to where it was about to my, like a little bit above my knees, right below the vittles, you know, before, because anything that, I don't They can know. still get the Achilles. Right. But I will swim in pools. I mean, I'll like, I'll like hang out in like the shallow or the, the, the not deep end of pools, just kind of hang out and stand and like soak, soak or whatever, you know, I like that. But I'm always worried. I'm not, when I'm in pools, I'm not worried about sharks. Because I know that the way they can't fit in pools and they are out in the ocean. Tell you know, five year old st- Greg watching Jaws 2 that, okay? But if I stay away from the ocean, I'm okay. Piranhas, piranhas can get you in pools. They can get you in lakes. They can get you anywhere that there's water because they're small enough to fit in the tubing in the hole. So you can have a fucking kiddie pool filled with piranhas and get your shit fucked up. So, no. Piranhas are definitely more of a threat than because I can stay away from the ocean. That's fine. But if I go on vacation and there's a hotel with a pool, I kind of want to go in the pool. But at the same time, I'm like, fuck, better not be no goddamn piranhas. And I stay on the edge because in case I hear, then I can get up and go. So piranhas are more of a threat, more of a logistic threat. So than sharks. It's incredible. I my my reasoning came to the very same thing. Because either or, you're not going to find yourself in the ocean, right. or in a pond or a lake, right? Now, logistically, they can get in a bathtub if you need, if they if they need be. If, if need be, they can swim up at the sewer pipes and fuck your shit up in a bathtub. Ultimately, and given in the hands of James Cameron, they can still get you when you're out on the land. They can fly. They can they can get up in the piranhas can get you. That's why you don't go camping because the piranhas will fly out of the lake and fuck your shit up. So, and so ultimately, I would say why genius doesn't swim is because of piranha. Because you're not going to go. You are not going to find no. yourself near the ocean. No, no. And if I you're, in the, you're landlocked. Right. I'm land, I'm happy. There's Way too. <laughs> but like you said, the piranha can still get you. So it looks like with a count of three votes to one, that uh looks like piranha just devoured. And you know what? They would. They would. Because don't if it came down to like a teal steel cage underwater Texas deathmatch, right? Where you'd have like, you know, you're in a small little lake with all like 100 piranhas versus Jaws. Jaws, he, yeah, he might take out a few, but at the end, they're just going to overpower his ass and just take him. And they're going to... Yeah, so when you have that many at your disposal, yeah, it's hard to beat, which actually I think is a very interesting transition then into our next bracket because one of the films is all about total domination, yeah, you know, the greater good, total domination, <laughs> spirit fingers. And I think our next bracket also is probably one of the more polarizing ones, especially with the rewatches, yeah. <laughs> but, the bracket topic is body betrayal. Mm-hmm. What happens when the body betrays you, which is something very Cronenbergian, yeah. basically. Don't dream it. And the two films we have here, we have a little international flavor, uh-huh. which I'm excited by, and a remake. Crikey. Crikey. So let's talk, Let's get into it here. We have uh, Patrick going up against Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. 
Patrick is a film that Yes, Patrick is a film. It's yes. <laughs> I think of all the films we've watched so far, it's probably one of the weirdest. It, yes, definitely out of the bracket. It's it, no Santa Sangre, but it's it's fucking weird. It might have the lowest body count of any of the films in the tournament. Three. Yeah. And it's also one of those films that I got to probably the latest out mm-hmm. of any of the other films. Um, Invasion I saw back in the day through HBO, but Patrick I didn't probably see until within the last 10 years. Patrick was a rewatch, or was a first-time watch for the for bracket. You? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got into it through, it was a documentary called Not Quite Hollywood, which is, and it's and it's all about Ozploitation films, which are genre films from Australia. Crikey. And it introduced, if you're a fan of... Uh, you know, The Road Warrior, for mm-hmm. example. You like Ozploitation <laughs> yeah, films. Yeah, you do. <laughs> the Road Warrior is one of the highest achievements of mm-hmm. Ozploitation films. Yeah. Uh, there's all, But there's so many different, you know, genres that they explore. And, and they're the, all insane. There's something so insane about Australian movies because they don't give a fuck. Go check out. There's a, a one called Stone. It's a biker exploitation, Ozploitation flick, and it's wonderful. What was that? I can't remember, but it was this movie about these Australian. It was filmed in Australia. These like school children in a one room school. They get kidnapped and they get thrown in a cave. And they have to escape the cave while the kidnappers are like trying to kill. And then like kill. They shoot like two kids. It's like the teacher. The teacher's like, come is it, on. Is it turkey shoot for kids? Or uh, no. So the the teacher is like sitting there in this classroom, like, all right, today who did all their chores? Did somebody did shoot shoot the sheep and play the didgeridoo, right? And all of a sudden, these guys come dressed up like Santa Claus and like Easter Bunny and shit like that. Come in the school with guns. And like you're in the fucking van, right? And then they take these kids out to the this uh, this uh, fucking cave, and they I seal do- them up in this cave. And it, they, after like shooting a kid, right? Like we're serious, right? So it's Australia's battle royale, is well, it? Sort of, because now the teacher and the kid have to escape the cave. While the killer kidnappers. Any are... listeners that know this one, tweet us at it at Nightmare Junk on it's Twitter. Insane. It's insane. Well, it's from Australia. Because, of course. Well, of course, it's insane. And because so, everything tries to kill you in Australia. Even a comatose patient like Patrick uh-huh. is going to try to kill you. Patrick is all about a, a comatose, comatose patient mm-hmm. with ESP that likes to get naughty. <laughs> yeah. And naughty. It's it's just such a, like you said it's a weird film. It is. It's one that I think me some people may not even qualify as horror. I think it's a straight horror film, mm-hmm. but it's a slower burn. Yeah. But as you mentioned, and I, I for me the thing that makes the film work obviously is the the work of the Patrick the 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 title character himself. Not quite Garrett Graham. Not. <laughs> didn't even think about. Actually, that's a pretty apt description. Meat there. free beef. That, <laughs> And actually, that would be probably considered um, more veal, since you know he's not moving around a lot and he's yeah. just a little bit more tender that way. No, let's uh, let me give a toast, Bud the Chud. Well, it's uh, Robert Thompson playing Patrick, and I I have to give a shout out to that because he has like, yeah, two three moves throughout the entire film, but it's still I can't take my eyes off him because yeah. practically just with his the staring and then he. At the end, they're like, and then you, when you find out, you know that Tarantino got the uh, the spit from Kill Bill from this particular film, and it gets particularly naughty in many ways. Yeah, his relationship Pat- with the nurse, Patrick Horney. 
You'll never look at a typewriter the same way again with this particular film. But the nurse, the characters, all the characters in this movie, not just Patrick, are all fucked up. The main head nurse, she's like, well, your qualifications are good, but are you a sexual deviant out of nowhere? Like, what is a sexual deviant going to say? Oh, I, why? Um, you caught me. I like to diddle patient. You know, nobody's going to say. But she's like, are you a necrophiliac? No. Are you a scatophiliac? And it's like. Why are you asking me these questions? I'm a nurse trying to help, not like... It just draws those people in, man. Much like us, some weirdos that like to watch these films. And then the doctor, like, hey, let me show you what I got. I got this frog. Let me kill it right now for you. And like, holy shit, you just killed a goddamn frog for a fucking experiment. You know, she's a nurse. She can understand basic, like... We can go into actual theoretical things without having to be quite literal. <laughs> without violence. Oh, and then we talked about it earlier, the whole um, typewriter hand job. There's a scene in this movie, if you've never seen it, where the comatose patient basically commands um, the nurse to give him a hand job. Because, I mean, in fairness, he can't. You know? I mean, like... <laughs> but Patrick does have ESP, so right. he's using his telekinesis. It's a, just a bizarre It's so weird. Film. Yeah. <laughs> and there's that whole, like, weird, like, ex-husband rape plot thing going on. At just... the very it's There's just a number of weird elements I thought that... You, I thought you chicks liked rape fantasies. That's what he said! That's what he said! And it's like... <laughs> Only in 1978 did this film exist. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and I know Patrick got... He uh... probably eats slanger. <laughs> It had a remake, I know, uh, but this is one of those films that could only exist in 78. You could not do that now. <laughs> and I was always like a callback to like Weekend at Bernie's. I think that would be kind of an interesting double feature. <laughs> yeah, it would be. <laughs> but I don't think I could have handled this film, seeing it back in the day. No. Like was, I did with some of the other films in this bracket. It's too weird. This movie, you have to be... Uh, if we would have saw this when we were 10 or 11, we would have not only dismissed this, but it would probably wreck us. Um, I would have kept failing typing class. Right. No! Like... And then just like the whole weird subplot of his mom having sex with the dad in front of while listening. So that's why he goes insane. And it's just like, ooh, there's a lot of weird issues that do not get even remotely touched upon in this. No. The only thing that I think that ultimately hits is the very end with a little bit of spoiler here. A little jump. The ending, jump scare. Blah, blah. Which I liked. I liked. And, I but then too. it just stops. That's too. the ending. Then you're done. Yeah. Why do they do shit like that in the 70s? Like fucking um, uh, Race with the Devil. Yeah. Oh, my God. You Talk know, right when, right when shit's about to get like, ah, then like the end. And there's no like end credits because it was the 70s. And you're like. What the fuck just happened? You know? That's what happened with me with Patrick. I was like, what the fuck just happened? You know? Now shit's going to get good and it's over. Yep. I want to see more like awkward hand job typewriting lessons. That's what I want to see. Not really. <laughs> I think there's a website for that out there, Genius. I think you'll be okay. So from Australia back here to the US, uh, we're going from an original to a remake. And this is a film that I saw. It was basically one of those regular rotations on HBO. And, and again, seeing it at a younger age, I didn't fully appreciate it until right. I was older. Mm -hmm. But Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> Still has just one of the most uh, true to the 70s, uh, just a depressing ending. Yeah. Just you realize you just need to give in. It's just mm -hmm. it's you. You can't fight. But Donald's is creepy as fuck. And I mean, not not just it's, not not even in the end. That, <laughs> that's iconic scene. But just in general, just like. Hey, how's it going? You have to remember, in 78, he was still considered a sex A sex symbol. icon. I don't know why, because he's like, eh. I think maybe because he was like 
skeezy and horny in like all of his movies have you noticed that like even when he's like yep. serious he's like usually lecherous right some in some way like in animal house like he's the cool professor but yet he's banging the students in this movie he's he's okay he's a, a and, and don't look now he is literally banging in that movie yeah he's like Bleh. i mean he's like oh even like I'm, I'm sure in like hunter games he's like 80 years old like hey can i show him a dick it's like no dude no no sorry mr president you can't do that <laughs> no i agree it's one of those films that i think has aged pretty well mm -hmm. um well it's still got good themes and it's even with leonard nimoy looking super like he's ready to read bilbo baggins like <laughs> you have to appreciate the fact that he wasn't really at that point star trek wasn't the franchise it was movie wise mm -hmm. he could still move in and out of that role which i thought was great because he's kind of that hippy dippy west coast liberal that you would almost becomes a Pop stereotype. Science. Yes. He was the Dr. You, Oz. Doc, the Dr. Spock yeah. back in the day. Ah! Well played. No, no problem. Well played. But again, this is a film where, that really adds on the sense of paranoia, the sense mm -hmm. of dread, the sense of identity. Yeah. Which I think is a huge thing that I think also ultimately is more prescient today as well, especially in the age of social media. Yes, most definitely. I mean, I, I think... The original hit it on the head with the McCarthyism and the not trusting in the paranoia. Um, and then the same thing again in the 79 version. You still have a lot of that paranoia and the untrusting of the government because you had the Watergate scandal. You had all mm -hmm. this stuff going on just recent. In, so it makes a lot of sense. I think if, if, when they tried to do the Invasion of the Body Snatcher remakes now, they didn't quite get it because they don't think they got the whole social aspect of it. it they If the something about the 70s it worked in the 70s and the 80s because we didn't we couldn't connect with each other as well as we did now all of our most interpersonal relationships were in a very small circle as opposed to something now the twitter sphere and all that stuff we all feel connected to each other in some way so we can even tell like something's wrong with this mm -hmm. person but it didn't work like that in the 70s you had to actually know like something is definitely wrong with this person it, and that's why it works so well in the 70s and in the 50s it's a template that when used work when used wisely mm -hmm. oh, it just elevates the horror absolutely in and of itself absolutely. and that's what i think they did really well with this particular film it was uh, philip kaufman that directed it I think I think an element that doesn't really get a lot of love are the uh, special effects in this film. They're kind of to the side. No, it's okay. Are you are you going to call out the? I'm going to call out something. I really enjoyed the special effects. I really enjoyed the uh, one the people emerging the yeah. flower the flower when it actually buds it looks like human skin with veins it's and then creepy and then that weird uh, rectum bud type thing mm -hmm. and then to have like mini gold bloom come out and like half Donald, formed gold bloom and even where if donald sutherland wasn't creepy enough donald's half a donald sutherland just like Bleh. oh it was terrifying exactly and then when they get the girl and she just just disintegrates that's terrifying the special effects were very very good in this movie except the fucking buck flowers dog hobo with the banjo music playing in the background that threw me totally out of the movie because like almost even more so than i spit on your grave just yes, the tonal difference just like here comes like the dog here comes a, a fucking boxer with a buck flowers mask on <laughs> while banjo music plays in the background and i know it's supposed to like i know it's supposed to like ooh, it's crazy and weird but it was just weird and crazy it 
I totally took me out of the movie. It was the practical version of the Uncanny Valley for yeah. the most part, but the, the presentation. But if you had done anything different with the music, it would have been more terrifying. It would have been terrifying. It would have been like, but, but it, it 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 was still would have been like those creepy dogs from Nightmare Two. Yep. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were creepy, but just that. It's just like no. And it's a shame it too, work. especially considering where it comes in the film as well. Because at you're... the end, at the when the things are the most <laughs> tense, the music is bombastic. The things are going horrible. Society is falling apart, and then it's like Roy Clark's dog. Like I don't need that. That that hint of levity you don't need at that. No, point. not no. at that point. Maybe earlier in the film when shit was getting weird and the whole people disappearing in the mud spa pits and what's the deal with old man dong and ass in the 70s like out of nowhere like when that big old man was coming out of the mud just this big mud butt ain't nobody want to see that shit and Donald's like you want to try can i show my dick can now? i do it now no donald no and jeff goldblum was like can i no jeff no it's just like and then the dog can i is uh that was my only major beef with this movie. If it wasn't for that, this would have been a fantastic. I would have been like, this movie is great, but it's just, it just, you know how it's really easy to take me out of a movie. Oh, yes, it is. Well, and that just tells you the importance of that, though, especially the placement and all that. Because, yeah. like you said, you're invested in the film, you're in it, and then boom, that just, it's, it's not a cheap thing. No. But it's unfortunate. Right. And it's just like, ah, oh. it's like when you're eating, it's like when you're eating a really good meal, but then you get that one hard peppercorn. And also, uh, Brooke Adams and Veronica Cartwright are phenomenal in this well, especially Veronica Cartwright. She's one of my favorites. She's made to react and scream. She's made. She is born to react and scream. That's her bread and butter, and she does it so well. Still, best reaction in Alien. That oh god. Yeah, and and she did great when she's freaking out in the spa. Oh yeah. Except when she said like, "Well, maybe it's about the environment." Like, no, it's not. Stop it. You know. But other than that, it's like just, just, just freak out, Veronica Cartwright. That's what you're excellent at. That's what I want to see. You know. You want to see Jeff Goldblum get weird, and he does. You want to see. Leonard Nimoy talks pseudoscience, and he, he does. does. Um, you want to see? Well, you don't want to see uh, Donald Sutherland be creepy, but he does. But you want to see Veronica Cartwright freak out and react, and she because she does it so well. It hits a lot of the boxes you need. Yes, it does. So let's show our work. We're uh, going into Patrick against Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. Genius. Which one of these two films is closer to your heart? Since this is the first watch for Patrick, I have to go Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Not only because I did see it first, but because to me it's a better movie yeah <laughs> there's more what the fuck in patrick but it's unconducive what the fuck there's a lot of like non-sequenter what the fucks and in body snatchers there's a lot of main what the fucks but they all work except that goddamn the banjo dog but other than that take away the banjo dog it's still a great paranoia movie. I agree. And I think it's one of those films that would pair well with like The Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just that growing sense of dread. And for me, it is closer to my heart because I, I mentioned it before. I grew up watching it on HBO. And it's one of those films, like I said, almost kind of like I mentioned Streets of Fire. It's a film that I remember watching a lot as a kid and I liked. Yeah. But I couldn't under- tell you why I liked it or I didn't really understand it. Invasion of the Body Snatchers was the same thing. I enjoyed the little elements of horror that I got. But then I think even at a young age, I could appreciate like the good character actors yeah. that enhanced the overall movie mm-hmm. versus something I got late to the game with Patrick, which is not its own fault. But I still enjoy me some Patrick. But for me, yeah, well, Invasion is closer to the heart. elevate this movie like if you put any like subpar actors in 
if you put the actors in Patrick in the act in, in Body Snatchers, it wouldn't be the same. Doesn't have the same effect. I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, let's look at then the actual bracket topic itself of body betrayal. Because mm-hmm. I think both of the films actually incorporate that quite well. Yeah. Patrick making you do what you don't, don't want to do. do. And somebody taking over you. So which of the two are worse for you, Genius McGee? Which of those two go more into body betrayal for you? You know, if some evil power took over my hand, right, I would still be me. I would freak out. I would try and do something. I would probably cut it off or do whatever, but I would still be me. If an alien invader came and took me over and I wouldn't be me anymore, I would just be a husk. I don't know how. Well, I would be dead. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about what I would do. But the fact of the matter is that you, they say you still have your own memories and you're still you, but you're not. No. You don't have the emotion. And I think what makes what makes me me is my emotion. You know, like like we like, talked about Banjo Dog. I, I get pumped up. If you did not have your id within you. I wouldn't be me. It, so for body betrayal. Body snatchers, because, oh, that's terrifying. I would much rather be a one-armed guy because I had to come out a la Ash and still Mm -hmm. be genius as opposed to be alien genius and be like, hi, zobbledy bip. You know, it's like, it's not the same. No. So, yeah, body snatchers. That makes sense. And this was a tough one for me because ultimately... One of the things that when, you know, you have people that say they can control minds, obviously people go to dirty places. Mm-hmm. That's just what the, the nature of folks on that. So that's also one of those things that's like, ooh, no, that's a scary, scary thing. But ultimately, like you said, with the body snatchers, what always gets me with the body snappers, body snatchers, body snappers, the snappers, <laughs> <laughs> is they get you when you sleep. Mm-hmm. And if, oh, I'd be gone in a minute because I, I love to sleep. I'd love to sleep. I'd be, it'd just be, it'd be curtains. And you're so vulnerable in your sleep. Yes. That's where that's what gets me. That's what ultimately that's what scares me the most when it comes to body betrayal. We all have to sleep at yeah. some point or another. That's why always Freddy Krueger initially was always such a great scary concept. Yeah. You can't avoid sleeping. So for me, I've got to go with invasion as well because man, I, I need to get my beauty rest. So <laughs> I know, right? I, ooh, this flower is Wilton. <laughs> so on a final count of four votes to zero, uh, we're sweep. We're spitting on the uh, the. The, the film of Patrick as Invasion of the Body Snatchers moves forward, which ultimately leads us to our last little uh, bracket matchup here. In 1978, we get another Undisputed Masterpiece, and I'm not doing bait and switch here. Okay. <laughs> but Rectus Dominus! <laughs> we do have Damien Omen 2 going up against Dawn of the Dead, and our D is for Doom in the brackets. Wound. This is a this isn't necessarily a toughie. This is another one that ultimately if it went one way we'd all be very shocked. Mm-hmm. But we haven't really talked all that much about Dawn of the Dead. No. We did an episode on the remake, mm-hmm. but we've really never delved deep on Dawn of the Dead. Right. Initial thoughts and reactions there, genius. I love this movie. Uh Dawn of the Dead. I, I'm a zombie fan. I'm not a zombie apologist. Right. Um, because there's some shite zombie movies. But when a zombie movie works right, I love it. This one worked right. This one, um, it's proves without beyond a shadow of a doubt that horror can have a message. And whether that message still holds up to this day is all debate and all personal preference, but it proved that you can. And that's the good thing about like Romero. Romero always has something to say, even in Creep Show, yep. even in Monkey Shines. He always has a message that he's trying to portray. And with a lot of different actors and our tours or the message can get lost not with this one not with not with zombies the fact makes us the heroes and the bad guys is what separates this from a lot of other different genre fare 
he's the godfather of gore for a reason. Yeah. This is another film, technically a sequel, mm-hmm. showing up in the bracket, but it's a film, like you said, it's one of those that not only does the horror work, but the the, the message is relevant, and it continues yes. to be relevant, which is the most interesting aspect. Uh, you mentioned the fact that, you know, we got Savini just gave almost like, you know, announcing his presence mm-hmm. to the world, like, here is what you can do with some gore. And it also put not necessarily gore to the forefront, but it was one of the things that we started looking for yeah. in those zombie films. Yeah, it's like a zombie film without gore nowadays is is reprehensible. Yeah. But be, it's because of stuff like Dawn. And because even in Night was relatively bloodless. It wasn't until like... The helicopters chopping off people's heads, and like, uh, and uh, Harry Krishna's getting their heads blown off, and axes going right through people's noggins. It's it wasn't until that when you're like, yes, that's how I want the zombies to get dispatched. So not only are we getting the wonderful message, but we're getting for the us wonderful gore, gore. Yeah, the red red kravi keeps flowing. Uh, also, you get a wonderful score by the band Goblin, mm-hmm. which again just enhances the overall feel of the film. Yep, which elevates and makes it a classic that is just like i said it's an undisputed film this is just one of those movies that has so much has been said yeah we can't really add too much on the conversation go out and see it and even though it's not goblin don't forget the gonk indeed and you'll hear it at the end uh but it's paired up against another sequel uh-huh. and a film that did we need another damien omen film no we did not the killer kid movie is a very interesting thing but I th- what I liked about Damien 2 as opposed to the first one um they ha- it had really good kills mm-hmm. the 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 lady getting hit by the bus with because of the crows because of the crows glorious glorious but I don't know if I want my antichrist to have pathos you don't want to have any kind of identifying fact to the to the antichrist right well and that's what I think is interesting with this film because I think you could ultimately it's basically the antichrist and his like silly school shenanigans grows up right yeah it's first grade for Damien you know or, or <laughs> home, it's, homecoming it's really it's I think it makes sense narrative what why it does it does how to see him the progress. further adventures of the antichrist child but, but it, ah. If you leave, because the original is a masterpiece. Uh, it came out in '76. Mm-hmm. It's got everything iconic: the cast, the score, the director, the, the scares, kills. The, the kill. yeah, the, the kills the, are pretty that wonderful. That plate glass, ooh wee. The 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 kill in the church. I'm doing it for you, Damien. It's all for you. Boom. Just like. <laughs> and here we're talking about the original and not the sequel because right. ultimately the sequel it just right. doesn't work as well for me. This is a subpar sequel. I mean, it it does bring it does what a good sequel should by bringing something new, but at the same time, what it does bring new it might not necessarily be warranted. Um, there were good kills. There were really good kills. There was some really good set pieces and some good like. And any time that you can have somebody do something evil with in the background, I love it because you know something fucking evil and crazy is gonna happen. But like. While the whole brother getting killed and that was kind of like a defining moment for Damien for him to go truly evil, we already knew he, he was, was e- evil. We already knew from the beginning, from the first one, that this is the fucking Antichrist. It's his weird baptism, baptismal scene, I guess. Just yeah. like, I am now ultimately evil. Yeah, like, I have no long controls uh, for the humanity and the human. He did in the first one! So, I don't know. That's where, that's where I... But like I said, it was cool for I have a little bit more Rectus Dominus. 
Anytime you can throw in a little bit more Jerry Goldsmith, it's never a bad thing. But yeah, this is unfortunate, an unfortunate matchup. But let's get into it here. Um, going between the two, Genius McGee, Damien Omen 2, Dawn of the Dead. Which one is closer to your heart? I used to work at Suncoast Video and Ward Parkway. And my, for those of you who don't know what Suncoast Video was, it was kind of like, you just went and bought movies. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of VHSs, a lot of DVDs, no get you, And they can also get you like specialty, specialty stuff. Yeah, you get posters, movie posters there, movie glasses, things like that. Well, that worked at Word Parkway. And with my first paycheck and my first discount, one of the new releases that came in was the two cassette edition of the Dawn oh. of the Dead remastered all the bells had that and yellow whistles. packaging. Yep, it had the director's commentary and had all this stuff. And I was like, "This is great!" So I bought it. That's one of my. That was like I said, my first discount purchased from Suncoast. So it has a special place. I still have it to this day. Do you? Yeah. That's one that'll never. That's, that'll that's never, never be from the personal collection yes, as we do a lot of the time. Never get given, given away. So. I agree. It's one of those films I I've seen more times than Damien Omen two, mm-hmm. um, and if you if you put it down to it, it comes down to shenanigans at school or shenanigans in the mall. Shenanigans and, in the mall were always better, always better. And that's for me. That's the distinctive factor there. <laughs> if I'm gonna have some shenanigans, it's gonna have in the mall, and that's where you get my heart and nostalgia. So for me, Dawn of the Dead definitely wins because of the mall hijinks. Yeah. Now that being said, the bracket topic itself, D is for doomed. Mm-hmm. Which of the two films bring and establish more doom? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, if, if we're going to go D is for doom, uh, I'm going to say Dawn of the Dead because it's got two Ds. But if... <laughs> 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 but, like, that's weird. You have a zombie apocalypse versus the coming of the Antichrist. Hmm. You know... I'm going to say a zombie apocalypse because you can get rid of the Antichrist. You could dispatch the Antichrist. And at some point in time, you know, that's true. Like the angels or seraphim or something will imbue a human to help him or give holy daggers with a specialty dagger. Of course. Right. Once the zombie apocalypse hits, we're doomed. I mean, really? I they mean, are them, we are them. They are. Yeah. Us. I mean, even it ends on a downer. What zombie movie have you know that ends happy? This is true. Aside from warm bodies, but that doesn't count because that's a rom-com and that uh, that doesn't count. There's no zombie movie that ends good with like humans winning. Yeah, it's, so, that's rough. Doom is zombies. Dawn is doomed. Well, for mm-hmm. me, ultimately, I think when you mentioned, you know, if you get the dagger of Medigo or whatever, what mm-hmm. have you, just, ugh, dispatch the Antichrist. Yeah. <laughs> What happens, though, once the Antichrist, their policy is in motion? What if they've, you know, they've established themselves in the Illuminati their or evil what have plan. you? Exactly. Right. And it becomes worldwide. Becomes Sam Neill. It all, oh, once it establishes in the <laughs> Sam Neill, which, I'll, you know, honestly, I think I liked it gives, it. yes. I like three. I like three better than two. As, As do Sam I. Neil. As do I. It, once again, it's the care. It's the actors that elevate the everything. We'll have to wait a few years till we get to uh, right. the the was it the final conflict? I believe is the yeah title. the final. Uh huh. Damien's all grown up now, and he's the president. Oh, very prophetic. And, uh. quite, and, and that's just it. <laughs> Talking about like real world politics and like. That sense of doom, honestly, that sense of doom right now is established and yeah. real right now. So for me, I'm going to go say Damien Omen 2. If I wasn't whole hard stance on it, I might have changed my answer for the whole prophetic. For the prophetic. For thing. Damien 3. <laughs> Omen 3. <laughs> we were talking about Omen 2. 
<laughs> Never underestimate the power of Sam Neill. Rectus Dominus. So by a score of three to one, Dawn of the Dead has devoured Damien Omen 2 and is mm-hmm. moving forward. Mm-hmm. So we have now officially gone through the first round yes. of 1978. And we've got four films that are moving forward. And mm-hmm. we've got, so th- for the next round, we have Halloween going up against Piranha. Mm-hmm. And then we have Invasion of the Body Snatchers going up against Dawn of the Dead. Ooh, that's going to be a hard one. That will be... That's going to be a difficult one. So hopefully we're going to get some... I know we're going to get some great conversations with that. And Mm -hmm. if you tune in on Friday uh, for the round of the Scream 16 and the Hateful Eight, we are bringing in the Classics Horrors Club podcast as well as the Cadaver cast Mm -hmm. to help us break these down. This is when it really gets fun, you guys. Once we start talking to the other podcasts, getting them involved... The madness truly starts. The mad capper. <laughs> so uh, I guess until then, uh, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we will see you in your dreams. Christ,